It seemed to me that the Regency investigation team, the guys and the women from Ballymun, who were investigating what happened in the Regency Hotel, had a really good handle on it yeah. very early on. Within the first couple of weeks, they were investigating and carrying out searches and seizing vehicles of people that are now before the courts. Yeah. So that was happening within, before the end of the month of February. Yeah. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A senior Garda from the National Surveillance Unit destroyed records from a tracker device used on a jeep, which the state say Jerry the Monk Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall used to travel to the north before the Regency AK-47s were seized. Former Detective Superintendent Kieran Hoey said he decided to destroy the records and data in February of this year, despite five people, including Dowdall and his father Patrick, then facing trial in relation to the murder of David Byrne. In his evidence, Hoey said he was following guidelines and didn't believe the records would be of any use in the trial. However, he admitted he didn't consult the team investigating the murder, the Director of Public Prosecutions or the state's own legal team before he got the destruction order. Brenton Graham, Senior Counsel for the Monk, said that he didn't accept that the data was useless and said that the records instead could have disclosed the movement of the vehicle in Northern Ireland and when officers knew it had entered a different jurisdiction. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about an extraordinary day in the Special Criminal Court when the inner workings of the Garda Siakona was laid bare and when a focus was put on the secretive and the aloof Crime and Security Division. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So to start with, the tracker isn't part of the prosecution case. The details of it aren't in the book of evidence. And how do we know that? Well, first of all, it was mentioned on, today is Wednesday, it was mentioned on Tuesday um, in direct evidence that the tracker is not part of the prosecution case. But today, with uh, former Detective Superintendent... Kieran Hoey in the box. He was asked, um, you know, why he destroyed all data and evidence relating to this tracker. And he repeated the same answer, which we'll go through later. But one of the things he said was that he was privy to what was in the book of evidence in the case against Hutch. At the time of the destruction, by the way, of this evidence, or not evidence, of this, of these, this, this documents and data. Uh, five people were on trial for the Regency yeah. because, of course, Jonathan Dowdall and his father were also there. Um, and he said that there was nothing about it in the book of evidence about the tracker. Um, so that was one answer. But the reason for that is because actually the NSU didn't appear to tell anybody about the tracker. The only people they shared the information with was the special detective unit. So, look, this is this is crazy stuff that's going on. Well, it's, it's certainly getting down to the nuts and bolts of we've been on the podcast a few days saying the guards are just coming in and saying there's yeah. that's the CCTV. And so now we're into a whole other this realm of, of what's going to be really a deciding factor. I mean, a book of evidence is prepared by the state and given to the defendant in advance of the trial. So they know what they're defending against. And I suppose the state's position is that's not 
that's not of evidential value. That that you know, if it's not in the book of evidence, we're not going to hold it against you if you want. But clearly, the, the, they didn't the, know it existed. I mean, the DPP didn't know, no, and they, wasn't consulted before the destruction of the the data and the documents. This, and, the and investigation think, team weren't told, nor were they consulted about the destruction. They weren't aware of it either. No, um, so I mean, or nor was the prosecution. So no, it's a. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly, a, it's, certainly a, it's one of those things that when you you read it, it doesn't sound like a great idea. I mean, obviously the the the, the state, the state which includes all of those things, are saying we're not we're not going to um, we're not trying to convict you on the basis of this. However, you know, obviously Jerry Hutch's team are going to say, well, we need to know these things in order to present our case, which is that our man is not guilty and it, there isn't there isn't evidence to convict them. I mean, it's, and a very... it's about the North, because the fact of the matter is the Jonathan Dowdall vehicle that this tracker was attached to um, went north. It yeah. went over the border yeah. and essentially did the Gardaí here use the information from that tracker to know where the vehicle was going to collect CCTV and the audio, which we've yet to get onto. Where was that recorded? I presume. Was it in the south or was it in the north? Well, I presume I presume they're going to present it as what was said in the south, and one can only presume that there, if there was stuff recorded in the north, that that can't be admitted because you can't just it can't be proved because these these do you know what I mean? Because all of this stuff is destroyed, yeah, and it was marked on a report destroy, yeah, yeah, right. So it's gone. So they can never actually establish now whether. Where, you know, they can't establish the kind of the timeline, I suppose, of the vehicle going into the north or what happened with the... Look, I mean, it, it clearly seems contradictory when you have guards coming in and saying, I took that CCTV at 12.02 mm. and here's my records of me taking it. And that's, I need that to present that to court. And then in another case, mm. another situation you have, we don't need any evidence of when trackers went on and when they didn't, and that can't be presented. I mean, obviously, uh, the the uh, Kieran Hoey today made a point about data retention, mm-hmm. which is that this the state are not just allowed. Willie, this is what he said: mm-hmm. not w- allowed just keep data on somebody um, yes. for an extended period of time, and that you know that data the state has an obligation to destroy it after a while. He's not you're after not just three years. Yes. So that that's obviously the case he made, but it's clear that uh, the Hutch defense team, Brenda Graham, said, "Well, you know, the, this guy is on trial for murder. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, you've had this evidence for a period of time. All of a sudden, he's brought to court and charged, and then this data gets mm-hmm. destroyed uh, without people being, without that being circulated within the Gardaí. Mm. And um, look, that is what happened." And also, I think what Brandon Graham said at one point was, on top of everything else and the layers and layers and layers of stuff that went on today, um, you didn't actually destroy it after three years when the legislation tells you to. You hang on to it for six and a half years. So why didn't you hang on to it for another year to allow the trial go ahead in case it was needed? Yes. I mean, that's just the, the, the simple. Now, look, let's just go back a little bit because there's so much here. Look at all my notes. And you know how I can't read my own writing? No, it's... So this is going to be, but what we'll just say is that this trial 
was going pretty much straight forward until the NSU got involved. Yes. Okay. That's the National Surveillance Unit. They are a, a unit that are within crime and security. Crime and security are in headquarters. Uh, they're overseen by Assistant Commissioner Orla McPartland, who is due actually into court on Monday to give evidence in relation to all this. She's been summoned essentially. Um, but NSU look after all these, they call them trade crafts. And the word the words trade craft have come up a lot when they don't want to give information. Totally understandable that they don't want to give information about their trade craft because it would put operatives in the field at the moment in danger. You know, it would obviously alert criminals to yeah. how they're doing it. Nobody wants to know how they attach a tracker to a car, where they attach it, what the make and model is. But the argument and this kind of big, huge, protracted argument this week has been, firstly, was there a tracker on the vehicle? Because the more than 20 NSU officers who gave evidence, they were all in places at different parts of the country as this vehicle travelled up first to Donegal and later to the north. And they were being asked, you know, was there a tracker? Some of them said, I claim privilege. I'm not going to answer that. Others said, uh, I don't know. Yeah. And then a retired officer came along and said, yes, there was a tracker. Now, that happened on Tuesday and that seemed to change the game a lot. Yeah. So there was a tracker. So we knew that. Um, there's no point in claiming privilege anymore. when We know there's a tracker. And then it got down to, well, so there was a tracker. So where is the data that that tracker yeah. would have fed into a system somewhere? Where are the written reports around that tracker? Where it was, where it went, what came out of it? And essentially, then we discover that, well, there would have been some information coming out of that tracker, but actually we've got rid of it all. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's it's bad. It, well, it's... it's it's It sounds look, really bad. It, it, it looks sounds really bad. bad. So let's... Do they actually believe, do certain elements of the Garda Siakona actually believe that nobody knows that they use trackers, that they use booking devices, that they listen in on phones? We all know, the criminals know the general public know, it's not a secret. No. So that part of it isn't a secret. No, I mean, it, the criminals use trackers. I mean, it's, it's you know, we've heard the Kinnan cartel tracking people like Michael Gately and all that. So, I mean, it's not advanced technology at this point, is it? Like, no, I mean, you can not. buy it online. I mean, the, the comp, I mean, there is a historical factor with, you know, there was a, sub, a group of, sub, the IRA, there was a subversive war within this state. And during that, conflict um the the guardi and and the courts the special criminal court in itself were granted probably what be considered by western european standards extraordinary powers in order to to, to fight a terrorist threat mm. and out of that grew units like crime security and the national surveillance unit who who were really almost like a, a on a war footing nearly mm -hmm. if that i think that's fair to say and they were not necessarily um Interacting with the normal guardy units in 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 the same way that that say uh, other other branches like an, a national drugs unit or whatever would, and I don't think that fully ended as post the Belfast Agreement. It I think that seemed culture... to end until two thousand and nine when the Surveillance Act comes came in, comes in, and that's been referred to a lot. And a lot of the officers are being asked for their past career in NSU. Were they there previous? to this 2009 Act coming in and were they working after? Because pre-2009, the NSU didn't seem to have to seek authorities' 
to actually no because because they were never going to be used in a court that, exactly. that was the thing so they weren't they weren't allowed to be used it they were using them but they they weren't ever going were, to use them in evidence no, they were it was using intelligence them to gather, yeah. gathering and that is what like it's a, and of course it did happen in the north as well where there was whole units of of the the british state who were gathering intelligence mm. as opposed to necessarily solving crimes as they happen if you if you if for want of a better description yeah, and I mean, this is the problem, I think, that what has happened is that, OK, they've moved at the times and that they are obviously following protocols and, and applying yeah, and there are warrants for these warrants. And there are could, warrants, yeah. But there's still this attitude that uh, within crime and security that we hold all these powers, we are the purveyors of these dark arts and we're not going to tell anybody else. Because the, what I find probably the most shocking of all this that went on today and yesterday is the fact that the officers investigating the murder of David Burns, the Regency investigation team, we'll call them, were not told about this. They did not know there was a tracker on this card. They didn't know all these other elements were going on. They didn't know what the SDU were doing, even though they were seizing the weapons that were used in the Regency. When you look at the case in in, in full, and we haven't got the, the full prosecution case yet properly before the courts, but it seemed to me that the Regency investigation team the guys and the women from Ballymun who were investigating what happened in the Regency Hotel had a really good handle on it yeah. very early on. Within the first couple of weeks, they were investigating and carrying out searches and seizing vehicles of people that are now before the courts. Yeah. So that was happening within before the end of the month of February. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and certainly the rest of the it was they, they really did know pretty quickly. I suppose in in the defence of of the people, you know, as you heard Karen Howie today, what he did say was that that he had authorization mm-hmm. to do this. Um, yeah, but he authorised himself. Well, actually. yeah, but ultimately, and, he, and and Orla McPartland, the the who's over crime and security, the system commissioner, she seemed to have somewhat rubber stamped it. But in the afternoon, he said she didn't really know what she was rubber stamping because he never told her. He just gave her the vehicle description and the the uh, reg, but he never actually said, "Sorry, that was the vehicle, by the way, that is to do with the Regency." And five people in on trial. Yeah. Nonetheless, what he did say was that data. Older than three years was not required. That was not required for prosecution or for possible appeal. Was not to be retained, and that was that was his that was his position. And he said he said the quote is: "We are mandated by the act. The data at some stage has to be destroyed." He said. Mm-hmm. So that's his starting position. That's his starting position, and you know that's said in court and on 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 on, on you know on the record. Uh, mm. So that's clear. Um, but yeah, I mean, this documentation was, it was stored in a fireproof safe and he ordered the destruction of it. So, And it was when he ordered the destruction of it, when that document was signed to destroy that, really that's a question here because that was in February and the destruction seems to have happened in March of this year. Yeah. So it seems that around, he, sorry, by the way, he took over uh, as detective superintendent of the NSU in 2019 and he says that in the January uh, thereabouts of 2020 he sort of decided he was going to do a bit of housekeeping yeah. and he was yes January 2020 he was carrying out this review and he was going to 
destroy this data, anything that was over three years old. But it's not just any data. It's only data that is not of value to any prosecution yes. or to investigating. So basically, anything that is uh, still, that's going to be still under investigation. I mean, in, that's in my language. Because no. if some if a, if a murder, for example, is still under investigation, there is a possibility that charges will be brought at some stage, unless an investigation surely is actually closed down, shut off. Should that data be destroyed? Well, I suppose his position is that it's the, the book of evidence has been presented and it's not in it's not it's not in it. Therefore, it can be destroyed, and that's the position he made. That 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 if it had been in the book of evidence, it wouldn't have been destroyed. But it wasn't, and that's not part of the, the state's case. This is obviously what how he how he presented it. Um, this is where we started going round in circles yes. in the courtroom as well, because the fact of the matter is it's not in the book of evidence because nobody was told it was available. It was NSU themselves who held it. They didn't tell anybody else they had it. No. And of course, he's saying, um, you know, to, to in order to, to, to use that evidence from a tracker device, he says that you would have to divulge a level of tradecraft, as you as you were referring to, a methodology that would render that unusable. So his position is that it could never be used by the state to prosecute anybody because you'd give away all the secrets of, of, you know, you'd give away all the secrets. However, you know... But actually, see, the point is that was just his opinion. Well, that's his opinion. Um, So, I mean, you know, which were... That is his... Yeah, which were given to on on this podcast. Mm. I mean, there are other things. um, If you... So there are privileged... Privileges claimed a lot of on a lot of occasions in Irish courts and in co- international courts where, um, you know, maybe somebody's correspondence with a lawyer. I think we had it most recently with the John Delaney case, which is not a, a, a criminal prosecution, but he claimed that some um, documents that were sent by email were privileged, that they were due for his lawyer. The states, the, the court said they would investigate that and they appointed somebody to look at it. Um, separately mm. and then to say well this is is covered by privilege or this is not mm. so it did this obviously this evidence from the tracker he's saying it could never be used and it, it couldn't be presented but of course you know there there would be an argument to say it could have been presented and somebody could have looked at it and basically blanked out bits of it and and allowed a court to look at bits that weren't compromising to the to the guard of security and safety you know mm-hmm. um it went on a long time, to be honest with you, and the information that came out was a struggle to get out from the uh, witness. You know, there was the constant and the, the the return to his position that it had never been used before in evidence. He didn't believe he believed he believed that the evidence of the actual people, the National Surveillance Unit people who were out on, the, you know, who saw the car yeah. was better evidence than uh, what this data would be. But at one point, the judge actually stepped in and said to him, you do realise that evidence could be challenged. Yeah. So the evidence of a human being yeah. is one thing, but oh, the tracker evidence would have been pretty much rock solid, would it not? Well, no, I mean, it's, it's you know, if 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 a human, well, I suppose if a guard stands up there and says, I saw Jerry Hutch at this state, mm. that, that can be challenged by the defence before it's accepted. Um, but evidence that's not there can't be challenged, I suppose. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's certainly getting to the, the nuts and bolts of the case because the state are very 
are certainly, as they said in their opening statement, they're going to rely on these recordings of conversations allegedly between Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdle. These are going to be a central feature that's said in the opening statement. And so this is one of the, the key bits of evidence how this conversations are generated, when they can be relied on or whether they can't. Mm. And I mean, basically, one of the other questions I thought, which was quite significant, that this this uh, retired detective superintendent was asked was, who did you consult before you made the determination that this material was of no value, basically, and could be destroyed? And he initially in the morning said that he had consulted with the assistant commissioner, Orla McPartland. Now, he didn't name her. He just said the assistant commissioner in charge of crime and security. It is Orla McPartland. Uh, so that was a bit uh, of news to everybody. Yeah. And it raised a lot of eyebrows. And he was sort of questioned again. So she knew, yes, we had a meeting. Yeah. She came over to his office and they put all this on the table and she signed off his uh, decision yeah. to destroy this uh, these these documents and data. Um, later, he sort of said who he consulted were the administration staff in the NSU and Brendan Graham. He said to him, "Like, who are these people? Are they are they under you?" He said, "Are they lawyers? You know, are, are they data protection uh, experts what or whatever? They, what, yeah. what, what are they bringing to the table?" And he said, "No, no, they weren't." He said. Um, they just were people who worked in his office. So they were the people he consulted. Um, he was asked, did he contact the SIO, the senior investigation officer for the Regency? This this was the Regency. And he said, no, he didn't. And uh, why didn't he? Because he didn't think it was re- relevant because they didn't come to him looking for this. Yeah. And then, but did you give it to them? Did they know it was there? No. So yeah. back round in this kind of weird yeah. circle again. And, and did you did and, you ask the DPP? He said no. He yeah. didn't ask the DPP. Did you talk to the prosecution? No. But none of these people came to me and asked me about. It. Yeah. None of these people were told. Yeah. So you know what I mean. It was this kind of toing and froing, quite exhausting listening to it. Actually, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um. And for the officer himself, or the retired officer in the witness box, I'm sure it was quite understanding. Uh, sorry, it was quite exhausting. Um, Brendan Grehan sort of said to him that he was at a complete loss as to why he didn't consult with anybody, as yeah. to why he didn't go to the, in particular, the senior investigations officer of the Regency. And then he sort of said at one point, oh, the original SIO knew about that. Now, that was clarified at the very, very end when yeah. Sean Galan stood up and clarified it with him. It wasn't the original uh, investigation team for the Regency. Yeah. It was the SDU guys, the Special Detective right. Unit people who were in charge of this. Collected the this, this, yeah. And not collected them, sorry, seized the weapons. Yeah. They didn't collect them, exactly. So, um, you know, it was put to him by Brendan Graham, do you not think this tracker could indicate the movements of this car? And he said, oh, I, you know, it it, it could indicate the movements of, of, a, of a thing, but not the people in it. I would have thought that the people in it were more important evidence and yeah. what they were saying was more important evidence. But, I mean, there was no break in him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He at no point, actually, one of the journalists sitting beside me remarked, my goodness, he's so confident. He was yeah. so confident yeah. of his decision. He at no point sort of suggested or questioned himself about what he did. He remained for, throughout his time in the witness box completely confident that he had just, he had ordered the destruction and carried it through yeah. of this stuff and that it wouldn't be of any use to anybody anyway. No, I mean, he's made a very clear case. It's that 
he believes it's appropriate and sort of a legal obligation. Mm. Um, of course, Gardaí are to reach a certain level in, uh, as a Gardaí as a Garda, you've probably been in court many, many times. So I think Gardaí do know how to give evidence in court in one sense, and some of that is to have a very clear line of thought. Mm. Um, so you can see Gar, especially experienced Gardaí, they know that the. The, the barristers are going to come back and ask the same question a lot a lot of different ways and uh, you know they hold their line and they he hold did, their line he did hold his position in regard to why he made the decision but there was a few little things that moved right yeah. there was there was a good bit actually that moved um towards the afternoon because he was brought back after lunch initially I think they were going to make inquiries if uh, or sorry, Assistant Commissioner Orla McPartland would be available. It came back after lunch. She would was available not till Monday, when, which is when she's going to be called. But in the afternoon, his position on her, I thought, slightly shifted because he was asked, you know, um, did she know what she was signing off? And he kind of said, no, she didn't. Yeah. So in other words, she came for this meeting with him. He handed her this, this, yeah. these documents that he was advising that they should destroy the stuff and it just had the registration on it. But it didn't actually say it was the Regency car. Yeah. It was the car involved in the Regency. So that was that position, I thought, slightly altered. And uh, whereas in the morning, it looked like she had a lot more questions to answer. Yeah. After the break and in the afternoon, all of a sudden, it seemed to me that, yes, she'd signed off on this, but she didn't know what she was signing off yeah, on. Yeah, so I suppose that's anybody in a management position can be presented with stuff that is a routine clear out and, you know, they may not sit down and, and stare at each one. Um, so I don't know if that's the position because she hasn't obviously given evidence at this point. Now, um, yes, and I think they're not going to keep her in very long they yeah. said it, it wasn't going to be very long I think it'll probably be just simply that she she, she signed this off I'm sure Brandon Graham uh, will have some questions for her So does that all lead then to a legal argument about the admissibility of the evidence? Yeah like it does and does, it's how, hard to kind of think that the defence didn't score quite a few points today I have to say look I am you know not anyway no. shape or form a legal expert but, I mean, I'm sitting there listening to this, most of the trial I've been listening to. Um, this looks bad for the state. It does look bad for the for prosecution. Uh, it definitely does. I mean, this is destroying anything relating to a live case, one that's happening. It's not as if this was this stuff was destroyed before the monk and the others were charged. Yeah. They were in the dock, essentially, yeah. waiting for their trial date. Yeah. And it is, again, I'm not the legal expert. No. I'm not the Garda expert. I'm not the head of the NSU. But just, do you not think it's important well, that do. you would have kept it? Like, why couldn't you have kept it for another six months a year? Well, I mean, I really don't know. You I said, no, no, you I'm not. <laughs> no, well, I mean, they've presented a coherent explanation, I suppose. But there's no doubt that... Um, like there is a constant, as you know yourself, there's a, a constant narrative outside of courts about about how the Gardaí operate and all that, and it it certainly it's going to read badly. But mm -hmm. they have then again he that that Kieran Howe stood on on the stand today and presented a, a coherent case, and you know it'll ultimately we're not legal experts. 
No, but, you know, I kind of see it that, yes, it reads badly. It looks bad. You're going to have everybody jumping on the bandwagon. Oh, the guards are corrupt. Yeah. The guards are this, that and the other. I personally think it actually shines a light on this, the way this crime and security yeah. division of the Guardi operate. How aloof they believe themselves and are to everybody else that's trying to work on the ground to solve crimes. Why aren't they sharing the information with the people who are trying to solve this murder? Why did they hold it back? Why did they keep it secret? Why did they keep it locked up in a fireproof safe and destroy it as the case was about to get going? Well, like, I think it's very clear why, though, because the IRA were involved and this is how they've policed the IRA for, for generations, whether it's, that's right, wrong, correct or, you know, incorrect. I mean, I think that is the culture of, of, of what has well, Brendan Graham suggested that the destruction of this stuff, because it's gone now, and no matter, by the way, how many much arguing we have, it's kind of gone and yeah, done. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. This ship has sailed. Yeah. The word destroy is written on all that's left of a sort of a document which relates to the destruction. I look at I have it written down there in big capitals, yes. destroy yeah. quotes. You can read that. Yeah, I can read that little bit. Yeah. But um, I think what Brendan Graham SC actually suggested the reason for uh, and bear in mind, he's representing the defense. He is yeah. representing Jerry Hutch. But what he actually suggested the reason for destroying this mm. uh, evidence was that uh, it basically leaves everybody in the complete dark as yeah. regards what happened over the border and what information was used when the car was over the border. We yeah. can never know that. No. He doesn't agree or believe that this destruction was just following the legislation and the data rules that are in yeah. place that it was after three years he says look at six and a half years why then you know and uh, he has called upon policy documents from within the NSU which give kind of guidelines on how to or how you know when you should destroy um, data or documents and when you shouldn't and it clearly states that uh, within the policy document of the NSU that you should contact the uh, officers investigating the actual yeah. crime, you know, central to it and ask them, do they think they'd ever need it? And this was never done. No, but he defended himself, Kieran Hoey, to the end and mm. said this was, this was, he was, with, he believed he was in his, within his rights. He was also, he was not just within his rights, but he was legally obliged to do it. And he followed procedures and did what he what he did, uh, being aware of what was in the book of evidence. So it again, it probably is circular because, um, you know, it's, it also shows, of course, when things get to court, little things that can seem as an aside can all of a sudden become enormously important, I think so. Mm. And also, I suppose, really, you know, in any case, it's always... Um, you know, showing exactly what you're what you're doing. Yeah. Se secrets are never good because no. they, they cause these conspiracy theories. Yes. Um, I wanted to tell you, he was trying to claim privilege about, at one point he tried to claim privilege about the use of trackers. Yeah. Uh, that ship had sailed. Another point he tried to claim privilege about whether trackers were used at all between before 2009. In general, like yeah. no, no other kind of thing. And then he wished to claim privilege over the amount of these sort of warrants for, for placing bugs and placing trackers that were were, were, were granted to yeah. the NSU. 
Um, but it was pointed out to him that actually there's a high court judge yeah. and every year that high court judge gives a report about the amount of bugs and trackers, etc. Yeah. that the NSU use because yeah. they have to apply. And it's quite detailed. He was still claiming his privilege on, you know, I think he was asked basically the destruction of these documents and, and the use of this tracker, how many trackers perhaps were yeah. used that year and claiming privilege. Well, actually, the High Court has, <laughs> has already published yeah. it. And he was asked, uh, do you not read the media? Because not only does the High Court judge publish it, but the media are, you know, this is a public yeah. document, basically. So the media ha- have had access to it. And Brendan Grattan began to read a story out of the examiner, which he called the Cork Examiner. By yeah. the way, it hasn't been called that in a long time. Yeah, that's nobody's like perfect. Virgin Media TV three or no. independent news and media 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 house independent news and media anyway or Super Value Gubes, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was uh, reading out this this article from the Examiner, which detailed you know in a particular year and comparing yep. it with the year before, and he said, uh, you know. Brendan Graham said to Hoey, do you not read the media? Yeah. And he went, no, 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 I don't. And uh, then he quipped Hoey as he looked over to the journalist bench. Sure, you know, the media can print anything they like. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, well, I'd say he, he might feel even stronger about that maybe tomorrow. He, he may well do. When he sees what's in the papers uh, in relation to this. So I hope we've kind of explained that. I mean, I'm tired. Am I explaining it all properly? Well, it is complicated. I yeah, mean, in other words, are, I'm not. No, no, you are explaining it properly, but it is complicated. Mm. And, you know, in any in any court situation, it's, it's a confrontational yeah. legal system. And he's presented his his view strongly, clearly, under oath, mm. on the stand, mm-hmm. in person, and you have a defence that is there to to confront that evidence. And so it is it is it is an interesting, interesting case, but complex. Complex, yeah. And I do think again it's important to point out that the NSU, the National Surveillance Unit, at this point in time, did seem to be kind of working as an independent entity. So, you know, I think what their actions were, whatever the result of this is, if it's if it's criticised or if it's accepted as being wholly within the you know the remit the of frame, framework, I don't think they are representing the Guardian as a whole. I don't think they're representing the uh, murder investigation team uh, who have been you know working away to try and solve the murder of David Byrne. Yeah. So, okay. Well, look. Hopefully, it'll simplify a little bit going forward and uh, there's going to be some legal argument around all this next week there should be some clarity on this audio uh, whether that's going to be heard or if it'll be argued out I don't know Um, but that's kind of I think coming up now next week at long last and then if it's in we hear it we hear what was said and recorded in that car and obviously we go forward towards the end of the month and into December really when doubt up yes which would be the, the really the next really big moment the really easy bit oh. okay um, so Niall thank you very much thanks Vicola you've been listening to Crime World a podcast from sundayworld.com produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me Nicola Talent. research assistant is Clodamini if you like this show and love true crime leave us a review or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.